where the biggest need is right now for volunteers. Community level, community based, community driven volunteers. Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. I'm your host, Clayton O'Brien, and I'm the Fire Chief for the City of Oregon, and I'm an active member of the association. I currently sit on the executive board for the Ohio Fire Chiefs Foundation, and I became an association fellow in 2021 as part of class number 10. The Ohio Fire Chiefs Association exists to improve the safety of Ohio by leading, representing, educating, and supporting Ohio emergency services. This podcast is not only for the members of the association, but also for any other fire and emergency service leaders. It is the purpose of the association to promote education, best practices, and study ways and means to cope with the ever-increasing need for a better understanding of the complex problems which are being presented to the fire protection and emergency services of our nation today. And I'm joined by my co-host, Assistant Chief Joel Fry from the Napoleon Fire Department and Fire Chief Joshua Hartberger of the White House Fire Department. Thanks, Clayton. Hello, I'm Joel Fry, Assistant Fire Chief for Napoleon Fire and Rescue. I am a current member of the OFCA and I currently sit on the Education Committee. I am happy to be here striving to advance the fire service as a whole. And I'm Joshua Hartbarger from the White House Fire Department. I'm also a member of the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, and I sit on the Education Committee and the Legislative Committee. All right, today we have the State Fire Marshal, who is the 39th State Fire Marshal. And uh, one of the tasks that uh, he has been working on over the past uh, six months has been on a volunteer task force that was created by Governor Mike DeWine in April of 22. That partnership was with the Ohio Department of Commerce and your Division of Fire. Um, so, Marshall, uh, welcome to the Triple P Podcast, and we're very excited Thank to you. have you on today. Um, we really just want to talk about uh, this volunteer task force that was created and uh, what the purpose of that was. Great. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I, I think what you're doing is really worthwhile, and this is a fantastic way to spread the word about what's going on in the fire service. Uh, relative to the volunteer task force, I, I think it's safe to say if you spent more than a minute in the fire service in Ohio, whether you've been a full-time or a volunteer, you've known for some time the issues surrounding the volunteer fire service. So the issues that the task force have been asked to look at by the governor, they're nothing new that popped over up overnight. These are the same issues we've had for years, but the difference now is they're reaching an all-new level of, of being critical. Um, we have reached a point right now where volunteer fire departments can't get new recruits, can't get new volunteers. Um, they, they can't retain the people they've got. Um, they've got multiple issues going on with finances. We actually had, and this is very sad, not that long ago in Ohio, we had two fire departments doing fundraisers to buy diesel fuel because they'd already shot through their diesel fuel budget because of the drastic increases. So these problems have been with us for a while. Um, but the governor's point is, if we don't do something at some point, volunteer fire service is going to start to go away. And let's look at some numbers. We've got 1,180 fire departments in Ohio. A lot of people don't realize we have that many fire departments. But when you take away the big city departments, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, um, the smaller departments, the Limas, the Akrons, the Dayton's, et cetera, take all of them out. Um, 
we think at the end of the day that about 70% of the fire service in Ohio is delivered by volunteers. Uh, and that would be completely in line with keeping with the national trend, which is 65 to 70% of, of, of the volunteers. So, you know, think about it. You can't drive more than five minutes from any large city in Ohio without being in the district of a volunteer fire department. You can't do it. So when we look at run numbers, you know, we require that all the fire departments submit to us run data for every run that they take. And last year, just alone last year, we received one and a half million incident reports from fire departments in Ohio. Those are for fire, not EMS, fire only. So you got a million and a half incidents in Ohio. Granted, the large cities take up a good portion of that, but still at the end of the day, there's an awful lot of activity within the volunteer sector. So there's just multiple stress points here. So the task force is looking at retention and recruitment issues. We're looking at training issues, and we're also looking at all of financial and budgetary issues affecting volunteer fire departments. So that's what our focus is right now. So across the state, you've had a few different uh, meetings or roundtables. And during those times, uh, there's been many, uh, there's been representation from a lot of different volunteer departments. Um, I'm sure that they've kind of highlighted uh, some of those topics to you. And uh, can you can you just speak on to what some of those things that you're hearing from from those chiefs out there? Absolutely. We, we needed to get information from the volunteer sector. We don't want to just think we know in our minds and in our heads what the issues are. We need to hear directly from the volunteers themselves. So like you said, we embarked upon uh, some actual in-region throughout the state roundtable meetings, we called them. We had six of them where we invited the volunteer community, as well as anybody else, to come talk to us about the volunteer fire service issues. So these are meetings where the members of the task force, all 25 of us, we sat and we listened. And then we asked a question, questions as follow-up to some of the information that was presented. So throughout these meetings, it didn't take us long to find out the common themes. Um, and this one is, is not obvious, but it kind of is if you think about it. One of the major sources of volunteer firefighters in Ohio has always been farmers. Farmers were in a perfect position to be volunteer firefighters in their community. You know, they knew the community, they were local, they were experienced with heavy equipment, they were mechanical, they could think on their feet quickly, and they could leave the farm, go take a run, and come back and get back to their work. The perfect scenario for a volunteer. Well, over time, those farmers have quit farming. They've transitioned into retirement. They've transitioned their farms to other people or to family members. And those folks don't have an interest. So, I mean, that makes complete sense. How do you make that up? We don't know. Uh, we also know that um, the, the spirit of volunteerism is down everywhere, nationwide. People aren't volunteering at the community level like they used to because they're competing with school projects. They're competing with maybe multiple jobs, a daytime job and a part-time job to keep their family going. So there's a lot of competition for everybody's time. That didn't used to be too much of a factor. 
but it is now. Uh, generally, generationally, we know that we've got a, a couple of generations right now that have very little interest in public safety, whether it's law enforcement, dispatching, EMS, or firefighting. They have very little interest. There's a lot out there that do, but they're not making up the difference. They're just not making up the difference. So that's a factor. And then there's other factors. Think about this. Uh, in Ohio, we make it hard to be a volunteer. <clears throat> you do, when you think about the process. Most areas, you gotta pay for your training, okay? That can be from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand, depending on where you go. All right, that's out of your pocket. Then you gotta take your time to go get the training. Uh, you've gotta buy your own PPE in some cases. That's three to $4,000 on average. All right. Then you've got to come to the reality that you're going to miss a lot of family dinners, a lot of special events. You're going to miss all that to go help somebody in your community at a moment's notice. And on a bad day, you could get killed doing a job that pays you nothing. It's hard to make that attractive. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely. is. It's hard to make people go sign me up. So. There's some things just in that whole description that we have to work on. <clears throat> We've got to make the training a little bit better. Uh, the 36-hour course that we have now, I guarantee, is not much different than the course I took in 1978 at the Westerville, Ohio Fire Department. It's not much different other than back then we could do interior entry, and you too could be a volunteer firefighter. We've got to change that. We've got to make that training better. <clears throat> We've got to add more components to that that training so that they are better prepared for what they're really going to face. 36-hour course just isn't it today. Uh, it fills the niche. It fills the need uh, that's required by law, but we need to change that entire training process a little bit. There are states out there uh, that we've looked at that are accomplishing firefighter one-level training in a 40-hour period of time. Wow. 40 hours, firefighter one, and our program is IFSAC approved. So that's a pretty tough, tough standard to get to, but they did. So we need to look at programs like that and see what we can bring to Ohio to make that better. Uh, another key part of that program that we looked at was testing is all open book, and it's as you go through the training. It's not cumulative. It's not all at one time. It's spread out. Uh, and, and, you know, there's little things we need to look at one of the things that we heard a lot about was the two-minute training drill to get your PPE gear on in the 36-hour course. Why do you need to be under the gun for two minutes to get your gear on when you're not going inside? Mm -hmm. So the question for a standard like that becomes obvious. Why? Uh, because a lot of people have trouble with that. Okay. I'm not saying don't do away with the standard, but make it a little bit more reasonable especially considering the fact that at the current level, under the current law, these folks can't do interior entry. So, uh, but the, the optional, the other program we looked at, they include all that. It's all hands-on, there's no death by PowerPoint, and it can be delivered locally if you have the proper training resources. Those are the types of things we need to be able to, to look at and to try to bring into Ohio, trying to get some of the control back at the local level. So that if you have the right equipment at your, your fire department and you have instructors, you could do your own volunteer training course, whatever it may be. 
those are some things we need to look at. We continually hear at every one of the meetings how hard it is to get a volunteer course going. And that's statewide. That's not any given region. That's statewide. It's trouble to get a course together because people aren't signing up in droves. So there's not enough people sometimes to make a class work. Some of the other issues we heard on the finances. Um, the volunteer fire service in Ohio is like a mud. Uh, right now it's funded in so many different ways. I don't think we have too many things that are common other than uh, some are paid by taxes, some are paid by levies, and in between there's a whole lot of other things. Um, fire districts, uh, we got a, a, a little bit of, of discussion about fire districts <clears throat> because it's interesting in Ohio. There's more than just a few. There's over 100 fire districts in Ohio. Um, and if you talk to most of them, they're going to tell you that they got started off on the wrong foot. You know, they really got started with the egos in the way and the I'm not painting my purple fire truck red and I'm not changing my patch, all of that nonsense. But they'll tell you today they're better off for it because they've got common resources. They have equipment they didn't have. They have stable financing that they didn't have before uh, the formation of the fire district. So, I mean, that's that's one area we looked at a lot was the benefits of fire districts. Is it everybody's answer? Absolutely not. But when I go to a county fire chief's meeting and see 25 or 30 fire chiefs there that represent all of the fire departments in a, in, in a given county, don't tell me you can't merge some of those departments together somehow and give the taxpayers a break. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me you can't do it just because you don't want to change your patch or your shirt color or whatever. Um, we're in tough times now economically and financially. That's one of the big issues the volunteer fire service has to get to is some degree of stable financing. Uh, there are communities in Ohio that are passing fire levies successfully. Last year we had five that failed in Ohio, not by just a little bit. They failed miserably. So um, here again, we've got to come up with some alternatives. We're joined today by the 39th State Fire Marshal, Kevin Reardon. He was appointed on June 11th of 2020. Prior to becoming State Fire Marshal, Reardon spent nearly six years as the director of Central Ohio Technical College Institute for Public Service and Safety. He has also served on the Ohio Board of Building Standards. Reardon began his career in the fire service in 1981 with the Columbus Division of Fire, rising through the ranks from firefighter to battalion chief until his retirement in 2013. He also spent 10 years as then Senator Mike DeWine's military and veterans affairs liaison, and four years as Homeland Security Manager for Battelle. Reardon received his master's degree in national security studies from the American Military University, as well as a master's degree in public policy and management from the Ohio State University. He holds a bachelor's degree in public administration from Capital University. He was a volunteer and past chairman of the Homeless Families Foundation Board of Trustees and current member of the OSU John Glenn College of Public Affairs Alumni Council Board of Directors, where he mentors graduate students. 
I see that that's what's kind of like the tough part. I, one of the notes that I have on here was creative ways of thinking of consolidation. And across the state with, uh, you know, different volunteer departments, we are torn in so many different ways when you have, when the older generation, um, uh, like my dad being on the, was a volunteer fire department, uh, was on a volunteer fire department. That's where I first started. That older generation that still kind of hangs around a little bit, that holds that tradition, that pride, that all in the firehouse. But then on the opposite end, the people that are now coming in are the me generation, or there is no generation coming in. So the, the, the ones that are still left there are still held on that patch or still held on that truck. And it's hard for them to open up their minds to say, hey, we need to do something different. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have the same result. Yep. Yep. And two things on that on that old part. Um, the people that are, are, are senior in the volunteer department that have been around, that are hanging on, God love them. They're doing the right thing. Um, but like you said, they also have to come to the realization that in today's world, you got to meet people where they're at. We're not going to get volunteers to fit the same mold that we did 10, 15, 20 years ago or longer. It's just not going to happen. So today to manage that challenge, yeah, you might find yourself doing a little bit of hold handing, hand holding. You might find yourself doing a little bit of babysitting, a little bit of pulling. But we got to meet people where they're at, not where we want them to be. We got to we got to get them there now. The other side of that coin are the folks that are senior in the fire department that are hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. Some of those folks are hanging on for the wrong reasons. And here's what I mean by that. When we ask people some of the reasons why they're no longer volunteers, it got back to leadership. It got back to leadership. It got back to trying to run things run one way. Or it got back to uh, there's a click. And I never fit in a click, so... I was always on the out. I was an outcast from the get-go. Things like that are out there. And um, there, the National Volunteer Fire Council did a survey, I believe two years ago, of volunteers and did, a, did an in-depth look at reasons why uh, people quit volunteering. I'm going to grab something real quick to show you. Uh, this was a report put out by the National Volunteer Fire Council. It is the Volunteer Retention Research Report. Uh, it was released in August of 2020. This document is full of issues that I just talked about, why people are leaving the volunteer fire service. So this is the document. If you're a volunteer fire chief after an officer in a volunteer fire department, you can learn a lot from this document on what to do and what to change to make things a little bit better. But my point is, it all starts with the leadership. It all starts with the leadership. And that, that's another issue we saw with successful volunteer fire departments versus those that were struggling, was the successful departments had some common things in mind that they were all doing. The successful volunteer fire departments are engaged at the community level in everything going on. So they had volunteers at basketball games, football games, cheerleading contests, you know, the tractor pull, the horse sale, everything. Everything the community was doing, the volunteer department participated in it in some way, shape, or form. So these departments in the community were like this. On the other end of that, departments that were struggling, we saw this. Where the community was here, 
and where the, the volunteer fire department was here and hardly ever would they come together. That's part of the issue. You've got to be part of the community. Some of the other things we saw in successful volunteer fire departments were cadet programs or explorer programs. Right now, the, the folks that study generations will tell us and have told us, you've got to start talking to the 14-year-olds right now. 14 and 15-year-olds, you got to talk to right now because they're your future. And oh, by the way, good luck for the next five years figuring out how you're going to get to that point. So we know that. But these departments have very successful cadet or explorer programs uh, targeted to get um, kids involved at an earlier age so that you set that hook earlier, you get them involved. And there's lots of ways they can participate at the local level fire department. But here again, somebody's got to be in charge of that program. Someone's got to be responsible for it. Uh, some of these programs are worked through the schools. Some of them aren't. Uh, but that's another successful thing that we saw uh, of those departments that were doing well. And does that appear to be like like more regionally focused, or is that pretty much throughout the state? I mean, these successful throughout departments? Throughout the state. All over. All over. Yeah, all over. All over. We saw that. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There are some volunteer fire departments that are doing very well out there on their own. They don't need our help. But they're the, the exception to the rule. They're not the rule. Sure. Um, I'm familiar with a department that has had a two mil tax for 11 years. Wow. And they cannot get support for their county commissioners or trustees to raise it. Well, figure it out. They're going to go away one of these days. Yeah. They're going to go, they're just going to go away. So <clears throat> when that happens, you know what happens. Everybody around them feels the pain. You know, it's like dropping a rock in a, in, in a, in a pond of water. That wave spreads out and touches everybody. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like that's this kind of multi multi focus approach and and how you're looking at the challenges and and I did appreciate earlier when you said well I don't know how we're going to fix that but and I think that that's exactly what it takes though is really just acknowledging the problem figuring out all the facts we can to get us on a good direction and your your board of uh, uh, volunteers that you have is kind of split up into different groups correct? It is and that was key to making this work. Um, about half of the task force is connected to the fire service in some way, shape, or form. Um, either they're from the volunteer sector themselves. I think there's about six or seven people that are directly uh, volunteers. Um, we've got the associations represented. But the rest of the task force are non-firefighting personnel. And here's the reason why. If the fire service could have figured itself out on our own, well, we would have done it years ago. <laughs> so... Trusting ourselves to figure this out is not working. It's not happening. So we needed to bring in the County Commissioners Association. We needed to bring in the Township Trustees Association, the City Mayor's Association, Workers' Comp, the insurance industry. You know, we brought in a broad base of people from outside firefighting because we need their expertise. We need their input. We're looking at this from one point of view. That's the fire service point of view. We need somebody that's got big blinders to look at this in a much broader way. And they're the ones that are responsible for funding. They're the ones that are responsible for what happens at the township level and on down. So why not involve those people? So that's what's really made, I think, the task force work well is it's balanced. 
Absolutely. Well, there's been a lot of things that's changed, I think, uh, too, is that, you know, when EMS came into the picture and that the nature of the business of what we what we're doing, the call volume, um, it, it requires a lot more time and a lot more training if you are dual certified. And I always try to preach just that there's um, there's a place for everybody in the department. When you talked a little bit about the click, it, it really was, I was a part of a volunteer department that had those. And, um, and it could be a good thing, could be a, a not so good thing, but I do, uh, but, but it does boil back down to the leadership and, and exactly what the purpose is of the department. And everybody has a purpose because a lot of departments that we're seeing around the state too are this combination. So you got a full-time, you got a part-time, you got your local responder coming in and, and trying to have everybody be able to find their spot um, is is difficult at times. And when you talk about having clicks, you got the ones that, uh, you know, say that maybe because you're not a full-timer, that you're not a professional firefighter. And because you're a volunteer, you're not as trained as well as I am. But I, I just I just don't agree with that. I feel like everybody has a place in it, but we have to be able to sell that story a little bit more to everybody that there is. But one of the things that we've seen locally here is that our, our places have not allowed, don't allow the workers to leave. You, you talked about the farmers being the best one. They create their own schedules. They're out in the fields. They can respond to a call. Um, when I first became chief in Napoleon, we had members that worked at local places. They worked on farm equipment and, um, or they looked at, uh, worked at the local factory and they were able to leave their place of employment to be able to respond to a call. They can no longer do that anymore because of the local places struggling to keep and find their own people uh, to to uh, work on their own equipment or whatever their job may be. So I know that that's a challenge that we're dealing with too. Well, and and, and you're right. Um, one of the bigger parts of that problem now is um, most people don't work where they live anymore. Yeah. So True. they're not even able to respond during the daytime if they wanted to. Uh, but we are looking at those that would be able to. Um, trying to make sure that there's protections in the law in the future for them to be granted time away from their job to go respond on a run and then come back to work. We're looking at that um, at, as a task force issue uh, because we can't fix the issue of people not working where they live. We can try to fix the other issue of helping those people that do. Do you feel that'll make a little bit of a difference? Do you feel torn when it ta when we talk about the training standard? And this goes for you too, Josh. I mean, just like when we, you feel torn when you talk about the training standard, because I feel that these the the volunteers or the local responders that have to have a certain level of training, which as chiefs we are wanting them to have a, a level of training because we're putting them in harm's way. But then on the flip side, you kind of get like, man, it's you know, it's it's a lot too. So. Yeah, it's it's almost like that yin yang effect where you know we have we have this picture of what we think it should be and then what is achievable. So you know, of course, you know, hearing some of the you know, I sat through the Northwest meeting uh, that Marshall held and just even some of the sidebar conversations that came from. Uh, let's talk reciprocity. You know, I mean, training falls within that. Mm -hmm. uh, I had two people go through reciprocity. Uh, probably I think year two when I was chief there, and it took a long time. And then just you know, listening to Marshall speak. And other people, you know, talk with them. There are other avenues that we can approach maybe even from that side to help, you know, regain these or, or uh, capture these employees in a faster manner and get them up to our training standards. But you're spot on. I mean, it is it is a delicate balance of 
uh, what's the minimum we can go to, but also with the maximum effect and the safety for our employees. Well, because some of the things I'm hearing is that, you know, we got to have, you have to have 56 hours to renew your card, but you only have to have a 36 hour fire card. And, and I've, and I'm just saying that locally, I've heard some of those, those, uh, volunteers talk like that like well i could just retake my 36 hour card every three years rather than you know doing the continuing education yeah we're we're fighting right now that issue of the continuing ed hours um there's a proposal in the ohio senate to make it you know 36 hours and nobody supported that you know all six of the meetings we've had statewide nobody in the fire service has supported a reduction in the continuing ed. Oh, I'm I mean, the way it is that. right now, it's about an hour and a half a month. Mm-hmm. An hour and a half a month. Yeah. And um, we don't view that as being something that's in the way. But when we look at the 36-hour, the initial volunteer course, um, changing that structure is really necessary because, and we don't need to make it exorbitant by any stretch, but we got to look at, at a few facts volunteers have long response times whether they're in the station or whether responding from their home to the station then to the fire long response time so any fire is going to be exponentially larger in a volunteer setting than it is going to be in an urban setting in columbus very seldom that i have any place that i was more than five minutes away from six minutes tops those are easy situations to control but you're talking in the volunteer world, 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes. So the situations that they're going on are much more dangerous than what we would find with a shorter response time. So we really have to look at the training to give those folks the right training to handle that situation properly. Interior entry is not going to be the answer all the time, but neither is hitting it hard from the yard. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. got to be a balance. So, um, that's one reason why this, this alternate training that we're, we've looked at where uh, firefighters are getting 40 hours worth of training to become firefighter one, um, that is much better than what we're providing right now. Um, so we're, we're still exploring that opportunity, but I think it's safe to say there's been a lot of attention to the 36 hour course and its limitations. Uh, at the same time, we don't want to say all volunteers have to be firefighter twos, Sure, you know, we can't go that far, but we want to make sure that they're safe and they're trained and they're confident to handle the situations that they're going to be dispatched on. Uh, because along with the changing dynamic is the changing experience levels in the fire department. You might have somebody in charge of that volunteer engine company that's only been a volunteer a year. Mm-hmm. A year. Um, imagine being that person making life life and death decisions after being a volunteer for only a year, or hopefully not less, but I bet it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to be trained and ready to handle that. Is it ideal? No. But if they're put in that situation, we've got an obligation to make sure they have the tools and the training to do the best thing they can. 
well, I really like the way your your mind is going and where they're talking about because if it's training towards what is they're actually going to be experiencing when they get out there, it's not only the the time that it takes to get there, but then they're always showing up with less people. So, yes. you know, I mean, yeah. it compared yeah. to, you know, like, uh, you know, urban firefighting, you're showing up with 17 or more, um, you know, people yeah. on the fire ground right away, where in the volunteer service, you might show up with those two people in an engine and maybe one person driving the tender truck. I've seen garage fires where there's seven companies respond for a garage fire to get enough people. Yep. Just to get enough people. So, yeah, um, it's an issue. And here again, I think that shows the severity of the problem within the volunteer fire service. Um, it, it just does. Now, you know, getting getting new recruits has always been an issue because we always have those folks that view the volunteer career as a path to get a full-time job. God bless them, we need those people. I call them the pass-throughs. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be with you for a minute and they're going on somewhere else full-time. We need to keep feeding that supply line as best we can, but what we really need are those community members that don't wanna be a career professional firefighter. They just wanna help their community. That's where the biggest need is right now for volunteers. Community level, community-based, community-driven volunteers. That's the biggest need we have. The Ohio Task Force on Volunteer Fire Service is comprised of 25 individuals with direct knowledge of the Volunteer Fire Service and outside community-based officials representing township trustees, county commissioners, and other related agencies. The task force is a volunteer-based panel looking to improve several aspects of the Ohio Volunteer Fire Service community. Our mission is to improve the future sustainability of volunteer fire departments in Ohio by making evidence-based recommendations specifically on recruitment and retention, response and operations, and financial resources at the local level, and training to achieve long-term stability of the volunteer fire service in Ohio. Yeah, we need seven of our local mechanics and seven of our local, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. workers. I mean, because we have a yeah. we have a few of them here in Napoleon, and and I tell you that is, uh, uh, you know, majority of the calls are those EMS calls that you can handle on a normal basis. Yeah. But when you get the structure fire, you need them to show you up. Need them. Yep. What uh, one well, of my, it, Go ahead. Well, it, with respect to EMS, I mean, think about this. You know, eighty to ninety percent or more, most everybody's runs volunteer or career are all EMS driven. Mm-hmm. So so maybe we need to look at those volunteer departments that provide EMS and maybe give them some kind of an incentive to provide that service 24 hours a day, every day. Mm-hmm. Maybe there needs to be some incentive to get them to do that because that's where there's a quick payback. Um, those folks are gonna get in their communities on emergencies a lot faster uh, those people could also be available during the daytime to supplement any fire runs that come in. So maybe some type of an incentive program needs to be there to get volunteer departments to do that. Yeah, uh, because be that, that's low hanging fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or a way of consolidation, you know, so, you know, so that yeah. maybe d- different departments don't give away their entire patch on the fire side, but consolidate on the EMS side, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that surprised us was when we asked the question, um, of the volunteer departments that provide EMS, how many of you charge for it? We were surprised on a task force that a lot of people provide it, but they don't charge for it. Oh, wow. They don't. 
they view that as being, and here again, in keeping with the volunteer tradition and the volunteer mindset, the view is you're paying for that in your taxes. Why would we charge you? Yeah. I get it. But at the same time, as dire as things are getting, that's a resource that you're just turning your back on. And Marshall, how do they get out in the community and tell them their shortcomings? What's the best way to approach that? Because I know there's fire departments out there that are probably a little scared to bring that up because people are going to look at them as they're not as strong as they used to be. That's a good question. And and here's what I've been telling chiefs for a long time, especially in a volunteer community. Get out there, hold that meeting with the community, and ask them, hey, tell, tell me your fire chief what your expectations as a community member are for the XYZ Volunteer Fire Department. Tell us, let's write down all of the expectations you have for us. And when when they're done going through that list, then have that chief go back and circle or write separately what they can provide. Because I guarantee you there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a gap. Yeah. And that's where you need to start that discussion on how you close that gap. Um, there, there are some departments that uh, they they need to do that, but they won't. They, they don't want to look like they're failing in the eyes of the community. I don't look at that as failing. I look at that as an honest discussion with the community to let them know what you can do within the range of what they expect you to do. Because I guarantee that the expectations of the community are going to be much higher than what most fire departments can provide. Yep. <clears throat> That's what I was thinking, that a lot of people in the community probably think that you're providing a service that you might not even be providing to this day. They'd be expecting it still, not exactly. even knowing. So. And some community well, members may not even know that it's a volunteer department, you know, and that's... That's where I was going to get to next was there's a lot of folks. The the National Volunteer Fire Council did a, part of their study that I pointed to earlier. About 42% of the people they surveyed did not know that they were being served by a volunteer fire department. Wow. So, but the, I mean, that's good in one way and bad in another. It's good in that it shows the volunteer fire service as professional they're dedicated, they're trained, they're serving the needs of the community. They're doing everything they need to do to the point that John Q. Public can't distinguish them from a career-paid firefighter. That's perfect. That's that's great. That's what we want. But at the same time, they don't understand that that volunteer department is doing it for nothing. Yep. Yeah, well, and uh-huh. they showed up. They yes. answered the call. I mean, and that's where it yeah. really boils down to. And so they're doing yeah. a really, really good job, but uh, but need to tell their story, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they need to get out and do that. I can't do that for them. Those chiefs need to get with their community, get a meeting together. Uh, if they're brave enough, bring their township trustees or their council members or whoever. they got to get the community involved because until you, you show them the difference, um, nothing's going to happen. And and here again, we're the part of public safety that doesn't tend to, to pat ourselves on the back too much. We really are. That's got to change. That has to change because the community has to know that it's not as simple as picking up your cell phone and dialing 911 and somebody's showing up. The community needs to understand all of the pieces that have to happen the same order, the same time, without error every time they dial 911. They need to understand that. Um, and if they understand that, my guess is they'll be able to understand some of the problems much simpler. Yep. But that, that's part of the story that the fire chiefs have to tell locally. 
They really do. Um, so that's a big task. But I'm telling you, if the chiefs engage in that and start doing that uh, and learning, it opens up that dialogue. Well, maybe somebody from the community, a community leader is going to say, hey, look, we've been talking about this for three or four months. And, you know, I think you guys need a, a levy to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. You know, or you need some other assistance. We need to talk about fire levy or or something. That's the only way you're going to get that started. If it comes the other way from the fire chief telling the community what they need and they don't explain it, it's not going to be be successful. You're right. It's that transparent communication that I think brings yeah. all stakeholders together. Yeah. Well, funding. And it's got to happen. Funding is always a challenge in the departments. And so when we first think about telling our story, our minds automatically go to, say, social media because yeah. it's free. Um, but sometimes you're not reaching the the audience that you need to reach, uh, the, the elderly no. in our community. I know uh, locally yep. we have an aging population that may not have Facebook or Instagram or any of those social media outlets. Uh, are you hearing a lot around the state? Is there any uh, volunteer departments that are doing, say, like a newsletter or a newsprint? And if there's any creative ways of funding that because, you know, there's a cost to that. So. Well, here, here's what I'll tell you. I, I know about the Pomeroy Fire Department. Pomeroy invited me to um, celebrate their 175th year anniversary as a volunteer fire department. Uh, wow, probably six months. Awesome. That is great. That is really great. 175 years as a volunteer fire department. Wow. They still are a volunteer fire department. Wow. Probably one of the youngest fire departments I've seen in the state. And that's because their chief is a high school teacher. So there's a clue right there, fellas. Yep. Yep. Um, they get some early and they stay, but they've, they've had community members that have come forward and said, I don't want to go into fire. I don't want to be a volunteer, but how can I help you? And they've got a gentleman, I don't know his name, but he has a drone and he does drone videos for them for recruitment purposes, for training. He, he does wonderful work for them free as a member of the community through his profession. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's just one example. There are lots of ways people in the community can help a volunteer fire department. But guess what? Nobody asked them. Yeah. Yep. Do you have to be certified to clean fire hose? No. You have to be certified to roll it up? No. You know, there's things like that. And one of the other things that came forth from a couple different meetings was, look, I've got retired guys that'd be great pump operators. That's all they want to do, but they don't want to go interior. They don't want any of this other stuff. They just want to drive and operate the pump, but legally we can't let them. Well, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. I think that needs to be uh, that, that because yeah. that's exactly what we ran yeah. into too. Yeah. And, and, and there's other people that aren't retired firefighters that still just want to drive, be the volunteer to drive and operate the truck. That's it. Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe they don't need all the training. They just need to train on how to drive that truck the best they can and operate that pump the best they can. You know, we're going to look at some things like that. So I, I guess the other part of my answer is if the volunteer community doesn't go out and look at what they've got in their backyard, you're not going to know. Um, on my own personal Facebook, I share fire department stuff that I see all the time, all over the state. And, and I do it on my personal Facebook because it's much easier than doing it through the fire marshal's website. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll do it. And sometimes I'll comment. Sometimes I don't, but I'm surprised at how many fire departments, even volunteer departments that have social media. Um, and they're putting stuff on there all the time. Um, 
the most active social media uh, fire department that I've seen is Toledo, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Toledo has probably by hands down the best social media um, arrangement to promote what's going on in the fire department that I've seen anywhere in the state. Uh, they talk about their retirees on their last shift day. They talk about their their retired members that die. They they talk about them when that happens. Uh, they're talking about their trainings. They're doing so many different posts consistently. And that's part of the key. Consistently, uh, not randomly, consistently. They're killing it. They're just killing it. They're doing a fantastic job. Um, but there's a lot of departments out there that do what they can. Uh, and they're doing pretty good. So, you know, I share a lot on my personal Facebook that, um, it, it's just other fire departments because there's a need for that. Nobody's doing it. So yep. I'm kind of doing it now. And we but, appreciate um, that. And I, I think you're spot on. Toledo has set the bar high for us in Lucas County and uh, Private Ray. We'll give a shout out to him. I know he's he's instrumental in uh, what they do there. Yeah. and He does a phenomenal job. They're killing it. But, Absolutely. You know, the it. good point. The point is, is just, you know, when you when you say consistently. Because yes. then when, yeah, when other members or the younger people see that and on a consistent basis, like, Hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to be it. there, you know, and I want to, I want to know those people and those are good people down there. And then they feel like, Hey, I know them a little bit. And now it's just kind of getting them to where's that hump. How do we get them over that little hump to come and put an application or stop at the station, do a civilian ride, something of that nature. Absolutely. And, and you know that, and, and that's a good point about recognizing volunteers and recognizing what they do. Very few departments. I, I only know of a handful of departments, volunteer departments in Ohio, that have a volunteer recognition program. I'm sure there's more than what I'm aware of, but I've only been to about five or six events uh, for volunteer departments for volunteer recognition. And um, that's critical. And, and you'll see some posts. Um, every once in a while, I'll see one. I saw one this morning, uh, and I don't remember what volunteer department it was, but they were celebrating this volunteer's first year anniversary. Of being a volunteer that's a big deal absolutely you know you know we got to look at one year much differently than we did a long time ago where one year was nothing yep. one year is a big deal today to keep a volunteer um so things like that um promoting training i i see stuff a lot about what departments are doing training with each other training internally um and it's interesting things and that's what the public will pick up on too is i wonder why they're doing that you know, um, one of the other departments has like a question thing on their social media, on their Facebook. And it might be a question like, hey, average citizen, do you know why fire trucks are traditionally red? You know, um, just questions like that, things that we don't think about that we take for granted, but the public would know, you know, um, what's the difference between the truck with the ladder on it and the truck without a ladder on it? You know, things like that. Yeah, we get it, but we never realize we never put ourselves in the in the eyes of the public looking at something that they don't know anything about. Yep. They know it goes up and down the street, makes a lot of noise, and sometimes they stop. That's it. Um they do a good job of that. So there's a lot of different ways to get that out there. So when the task force was created in April of twenty two, was there a deadline that was set or what when are we looking at uh trying to see some of what what the next steps are what what's coming out from it i'm, I'm chuckling because uh yes our original deadline was to give an initial report to the governor of ohio in june of 2023 um that very quickly 
got moved up. It got moved up about six months. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason for that is the governor recognizes that we're going to have many recommendations that are going to have to be part of the state budget. Well, that state budget goes into effect basically in June of 2023. So if we'd waited that long, um, this report would have sat around for two years before it would have gotten a review for any chance to, to survive. So uh, that deadline is January 1st uh, for us to have an initial report to the governor. And I say initial because that doesn't mean the task force goes away then. That means that we're giving the governor an initial report of our recommendations for him to act on and work with the legislature on. I can tell you we are not going to be short on recommendations. Uh, We have so many recommendations right now. uh, I think we're actually going to have to prioritize them uh, and put them into uh, a format of something like year one, year two, year three. There's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. Um, a lot of these are going to require state funding, uh, one-time state funding. I will stress one-time state funding um, to give the communities a chance to, you know, recover. Um, a lot of departments are, are just struggling, struggling, and uh, communities have forgotten about them. To get back to that point, we're we're the ones that don't pat ourselves on the back and talk about what we do. And like I said. That has to change. That has to change. Uh, you got to do it. Got to do it. And that's the chief's responsibility. Nobody else can do that but the chief. Yep. Well, I really uh, appreciate you spending the uh, last hour with us, Marshall. It's uh, really been great. A lot of insight on what's going around the state as far as the volunteer task force. Um, I'm glad that you shared that research uh, uh, file from the National Volunteer Fire Council. And uh, we'll get it's a hold a great of that. report. Yeah, we're going to get a hold of that link and we'll put that on the uh, on the podcast so that anybody listening to this will be able to go there and be able to directly get to that report um, and any other links that you maybe you want us to add to that um, for any other research that they have going forward. But we really are looking forward to that initial report and kind of seeing what some of those recommendations and as uh, chiefs are around that are chiefs of, of either volunteer departments or combination departments, uh, you know, always just here to help in any way that you, we possibly can. Well, I appreciate the time to to talk with you about this. Uh, Yeah, it's a near and dear subject. You know, I'm I'm a career firefighter and and I was a volunteer for a minute. I was one of those pass throughs 30 some odd years ago, 40 years ago. So, you know, I was in the volunteer service for a minute. Um, But now um, to look back and see the things that have changed, but sadly, the many things that have not changed uh, in the volunteer world. Um, now's the time for us to do something. Uh, so we're looking forward to that report and what we can do working with the governor and the legislature to, to move this thing forward. So well, we absolutely appreciate your leadership and the governor's leadership on this. It's uh, much needed. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple P podcast, premier, professional and proactive brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel.